Cornerstone. Good, good. Hey, my name is Jeff Gokey. I am the fifth and sixth grade director here at the church, and I'm used to speaking to 11 and 12 year olds on Sunday morning, so this should be interesting, okay? So for some reason, I start throwing candy about halfway through the service. It's just to keep you quiet. So just, just go with it. It's what I'm used to, all right? Hey, when I was 16 years old, uh, my very first car was a classic. It was a 1981 Pontiac Bonneville station wagon, burgundy, which is the coolest color, right? All right, so, so this car was like uh, no other car that I had ever owned in my entire life. And it had really three distinct characteristics that really set it apart. Uh, number one, um, this car was so excited when it got started up that it just did not want to turn off. It did not want me to bring it down. Okay, so I would start this car up when I'd drive and I would stop, turn it off, pull the key out, close the door, and the car's still going, I'm like, oh man. So it was really cool when you pull up to school, right? Pull the keys out, turn the car off, shut the door, and it's going, my friends are like, your car's still running. Yeah, it's a special feature. It's awesome. Yes, you get it, right? So embarrassing, okay? So my car just would not turn off. Like, no, you're not going to bring me down. You're not going to go ahead and get me all started up and then tell me to turn off. No, I'm not going to do that, right? So it was really excited about being started up, didn't want to get turned off. Second thing, it would backfire at random. There was, there was no way to predict it. There was no telltale sign. There was no way that I could ever figure out why it did it. It would just once in a while go boom and backfire. Uh, so one morning, um, uh, we lived at the bottom of a hill, and, and this is in the middle of December. First of all, my car is mad at me because I even tried to start it uh, on, a, on a cold December morning. Um, and then uh, we had to go up this hill. And so I, I get the car going, and we're going up the hill, and um, there's this beautiful little boy standing at the very pinnacle of the hill with his white suit on, his backpack, and his lunch pack, and he's ready for school. My car decides at the top of that hill to go kaboom, right? And I see, I see this poor little kid's face in my reflection. He's completely covered in soot, black, and these little tears are coming down, right? And then behind him is like a shadow of his body in the snow with like soot. And so I was like, we got to get out of here. We just took off, right? Don't judge me. I know you've done worse, okay? Don't judge me because I took off. I didn't want his mom coming out and be like, Wah! right? <laughs> No, I was out of there, okay? So it would just backfire at random. There's no way to predict it. The third thing this car did. Now, a lot of you don't know me. And for all you know, I'm a big fat liar. And I'm just going to tell you this next thing. I'm not lying. I'm telling the absolute truth. This car at some point in its life decided um, it was tired of shooting the exhaust out the exhaust pipe. So I, I think this is what happened. It, 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 somewhere it decided that, no, I don't want to go that way. And it rerouted it through the air conditioning system. I don't even know if that's possible. But, okay, so I would turn on the air conditioning or the heating and smoke would billow out the air conditioning vents. So my brother and I were like, we got to take advantage of this. This is too cool to be true. So we got big old gas masks. And we would drive down the road, and this smoke would f go out the windows. And, you know, like moms are calling on their phone. You're like, there's a car on fire. 
two boys have gas masks on. You know, and it's billowing out the windows and we're loving every minute of it, right? And that's my car. Like, just weird stuff. But it was my car. It was my first car, so it was kind of cool. And, you know, what if a guy comes up to me and he says, Jeff, I've been watching you drive that car. You're amazing. Serious. You're unbelievable. I've been watching you grip the wheel and how you look so intense when you drive it, right? And you take those curves, those turns with such finesse. The way you uh, try to accelerate and go fast. Um, you know, all that. You're a driver. Man, you're good. And, and, but you know what the problem is, Jeff? Is that car, man, it just... It doesn't fit you. You need something better, something that... We went out and we bought you a Porsche. My wife and I, we bought you a Porsche. No kidding, a Porsche? Yeah, Porsche. A Porsche, we, we bought you a Porsche. And now you can be everything you want to be. Oh, a Porsche. That would be... Oh, man. Man, Porsches are really fast. What if I was just, you know, like step on that gas pedal and then ah, off a bridge, right? Because I'm not used to how fast they go. I mean, it would be cool, but, oh, you know, man, that would be, I mean, with my car, I can pretty much guarantee that's never going to happen, okay? Because if I can get it to start, that's a great thing, right? So it's not going to take me off a bridge anytime soon. Man, they're expensive to fix. I thought it was like $1,000 to fix a headlight. You know, I just go down the junkyard and grab parts for my car. Oh, and the gas. Do you guys know how expensive gas is right now? Isn't that ridiculous? Can you imagine? I'd have to put premium gas in this car. I could put oil in my car. I could put oil and in, in, in water in my car and it would still run, right? I, I, I can't afford premium gas and the mechanics. I, don't, I, I fix this thing in my garage. I don't, I don't, I'd have to find a mechanic for a Porsche. Man, I, as much as I, as much as I want that Porsche, I, I'm pretty comfortable with my car. I mean, I get my car. I, I know it's all of its little weird things. So, you know, why don't you, why don't you keep your Porsche? But thanks. Can I just say that I think we have a lot of believers, and that we have a lot of people who lived Bonneville lives when God's created them to be Porsches. Right? And I'm not talking about money or stature. I'm talking about in Psalms 139 when God said, I knit you together in your mother's womb. I saw you being designed. And I, and I put into you things that would help you be alive. So that you wouldn't just exist in this world, that you would do incredible things for me and my name and my cause. I saw you being born. I saw you being developed. I had a hands-on deal with that. And you were not created to be average. You were not created to be mundane. You were created to be a Porsche, not a Bonneville. And in the monotony of this world, Many of us settle for the Bonneville life when God's like, there's so much more for you. I've de I designed you to do so much more. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you so much. 
Lord, that this morning you would convict our hearts as we try to search through our soul about who you've made us to be. Lord, that we would learn things that maybe we haven't heard before, God. And Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for how crystal clear it is and that we would learn from it and we would listen and that we would not only listen, that we would change the way we live our life so that we can be alive in you, God. Lord God, we just love you and we thank you. Thank you. Amen. So um, here's the deal. Uh, go to 1 Samuel 16. We're going to go old school. We're going to hit the Old Testament up this morning. And uh, um, let me give you some background. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen a little bit. Um, let me give you some background. So Israel, <coughs> Israel's kind of like a whiny little kid. You know, like um, they want a king. They see everyone else has a king, and they're like, we want a king. I want a king. A king. How many of you have kids? How many of your kids are like, I want it? I want it. Come on. I want it. They got it. I want it. I want it. Right? And you're like, oh my gosh, just be quiet. All right? Here's the toy. All right? This is Israel. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. So God says to Samuel, his prophet, go ahead, give him a king. It's not what I want them to have, but give them a king. So Israel's criteria for a king is this guy's got to be hot. He's got to be ripped. He's got to know how to use a sword. That's their criteria for finding a king. So they find Saul. Saul stands up. He's gorgeous. He's ripped. He's got a sword. He's like, they're like, he's our guy. He's our guy. Okay? Problem is, is Saul's kind of this narcissistic, um, do-before-I-think kind of guy. Right? And then blame everyone else when it all goes bad. Right? Well, it wasn't my fault. It was his fault. Right? That's Saul. And Saul just gets himself into a whoop of trouble. So before this passage, what has happened is <clears throat> the Philistines have kind of gone all around them, okay, and, and are surrounding them. Their armies are. And, and, and um, uh, Saul's army gets freaked out. And so they're hiding in caves, okay? They're like, I'm out of here. 2,400 of his guys are like, peace out. I'm out of here. And they go and hide in caves. So Saul's got 600 men now. And not only that, but they don't, they don't have any weapons. They've got like shovels and hoes and, and things like that. You know, they don't have any weapons. And then um, Saul gets reprimanded by Samuel, and Samuel says, by the way, because you've stepped on God's toes, um, your kingdom's not going to last. It ends with you. Which he's like, oh, it so deflates my pride. And oh, Okay, so we find in the beginning of this passage, here's Saul with these guys sitting under a pomegranate tree. And they're like, oh man, this just stinks. Ho-hum. And, and Saul's trying to figure out who to blame, and he's just bumming under this pomegranate tree. And in comes Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan is a sharp guy. He gets God. He gets what God wants to happen with, the, with Israel. And he's a, an amazing, amazing, amazing fighter. Amazing soldier. So where we find this passage, where it comes in, is Jonathan is watching his father and watching these men sit under a pomegranate tree while they're being surrounded by their enemy. And Jonathan's like, nuh-uh, mm-mm. Nuh-uh, this is not what we were designed to do. This is, not, this is not going the way it should go. So pick it up in verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Love that. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by few or by many, or by many by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Jonathan says, come then, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. Hey, here we are. Not a good military plan, okay? 
If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will say, um, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if we say, come up to us, we will climb up because that, because that will be our sign that the Lord has given us into their hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their hose, holes. Because you, you remember that, that, that uh, the Israelites are, are freaked out, right? Because there's so many of them, they're surrounding them. They're like, we're out of here. We're hiding in caves. So these guys just assume that's Jonathan and his armor bearer. And like, ah, look at this guy. Finally coming out of your hole, are you? Right? All right, come on and bring it on. Um, so uh, so uh, let's see, here we go. Uh, the, the men at the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson, kind of bullying them. So Jonathan said to his armor, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet and his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind them. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in the area of about a half acre. How cool is that? This one guy, while the rest of the guys are just chilling under a pomegranate tree, Jonathan says, no, 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 not going to do it. You know what? In fact, I'm, I'm going to do something really crazy. I'm going to go try to attack them myself. I'm going to go do this really radical, this really crazy thing and try to attack them themselves. In fact, I, it's so ridiculous. I'm going to make myself known to them. Hi, here I am. And then I'm going to do the hardest kind of battling you could possibly do. Like everything about this doesn't make sense. And yet it applies to us in such a huge way about living this life that God has intended for us to live and using the gifts that he's intended for us to use so that we can find the joy that we've been looking for, so we can find the fulfillment that we've been looking for. So I think Jonathan sh shows us some things, and we're just going to walk through those. First, Jonathan moves. Jonathan moves. He doesn't stand still. He doesn't sit under the pomegranate with the rest of his uh, crew and his father, who's just sitting there going, oh, what do we do? This really stings. Oh, man. Right? Jonathan's like, I got to get out of here. I have a calling on my life. I do not want these guys oppressing my people anymore. I know what God wants me to do, and I got to get out of here. So Jonathan's first step is, is that he moves. And, and, and what I found among people that I've gotten to talk to over the years is that this first step is a very difficult step because we live in a world that craves monotony. We live in a PDA type, type of world. where We have a schedule and we have to keep the schedule. And because of the schedule and because of the monotony, we rarely move outside of that. And if we do, it's a really scary deal. It, it, it's kind of like this. When, when I ask my kids where they want to go eat, they say McDonald's, but McDonald's didn't have Happy Meals this morning, so I had to go to Burger King. So we're going to use Burger King. And I ask them what they want, they say they want a Happy Meal. Now, um, it's not because my kids just love McDonald's food or Burger King's food. They just, oh, I just crave Burger King food. You know, I crave that indigestion. Oh, you know? No. And this is what they do. They, they open up the bag. And the first thing they go towards is the fries. No. They grab the toy. They're like, toy! And they, they, everything inside of them, in fact, it's gotten so bad, Penny and I are like, if you don't eat that food that's going to make you feel miserable, you don't get the toy. <laughs> you need to eat that miserable food for you that's going to give you a stomach ache, okay? 
or you don't get the toy. So my kids will they'll take a bite of hamburger, right? And I mean, they, they take the, a bite of the hamburger, they take a bite of the fries, and, and all be, so they can grab the toy. They, oh, the toy. I think that's us. Some of you. Some of us. I don't like what I'm doing with my life. I don't like the job I'm working. I'm miserable. It drains me. I'm joyless. I'm not being the father I want to be. I'm not being the husband I want to be. But I make a good paycheck. But, it, but at least it pays the bills. And we, we start the butts. But, maybe. But, 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 but. And it, it, it's no different. At least I got a toy. I know this is going to make me miserable and make me feel terrible. But at least I got a toy. And we, we run our whole lives like this. Some of us. And can I just say that Jonathan proves in this moment that no! No! For some of you, you just need to take a step. If you're an executive and somewhere in your heart you feel like you've been called to be a missionary, take a step and go do a second Saturday with us. Just take a step. Take a step in the right direction, something outside of the normal, mundane, monotonous life that we live in. Just take a step. Don't be like Saul sent under a pomegranate tree. So Jonathan takes a step. The next thing he does, and this is a big one. Some of you are going to be like, no, no, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Jonathan risks. He risks. You know, I've been married for nine and a half years. And I've got two boys. But there was a point where I had to risk, where I had to go to my wife and say, would you go on a date with me? She said, yes. Okay. <laughs> right? Anyone who's ever risked for a relationship has been married for 10, 15, two years, goes, man, that was totally worth it. Because I found my soulmate but we don't like to risk. No, no, we don't like to risk. We, 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 like, we like to do this. Okay, God, really use me powerfully. I'm serious. I want to do and go wherever you want me to go. Lord God, you are so powerful and almighty. And, and you, 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 you know, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ. So go, God, just use me. As, as long as I can live in the house I want to live in and work the job I want to work and have the paycheck and, and have the kids go to a really good school, God, I really want you to use me. Right? We, we put these boxes around our lives and say, God, oh, please use me. God, use me. But we're never willing to take the box off and go, God, honestly, everything I have is yours. I, I give it to you completely. This church that you are sitting in was built on risk. In fact, it's one of our vision statements that the greatest moments, God's greatest moment, happened on the other side of risk. And Jonathan got to see that. It wasn't saying, hey, they're going to come down to us. That wasn't God's moment. Jonathan says, if we have to go up to them, if we have to go do the hard thing, that's when God's going to show up. And, and that's a scary deal. If I'm, if I'm his armor bearer, I'm like, this guy is nuts. Okay, you want us to first of all go, hey, here we are. And then you want us to climb up the mountain while they're jabbing us with their spears? No, thank you. I'm out. No. And see, Jonathan knows something really spectacular. 
He's heard the stories about Joshua, right? Can you imagine me and Joshua? Hey, here's the plan, folks. Um, we got to go take down Jericho. Okay, come on in, everybody. Big meeting. Um, we're going to travel around this. This is what God told me. Here's the plan. We're going to go around this city uh, for seven days. We're going to walk around it. On the seventh day, we're going to go around it seven times. And then we're all going to yell and blow horns, and the walls are going to come tumbling down. Aren't you guys excited? Let's go do it. Right? If I'm a red-blooded, just killing a bunch of guys in a field kind of soldier, like walking around a building and screaming at the top of my lungs, come on, walls, fall down. This, no, that doesn't work for me. And yet they got to see God show up really huge, right? And what about Gideon? Gideon, Gideon starts off with 32,000 men to fight an army like sand on a seashore, the scriptures say. God chisels it down and says, no, too many, too many, too many, too many. 300 men. And God says, now you're ready. Gideon, will you risk for me? Gideon, will you risk for me? And if you do, you're going to show up. I'm going to show up in a huge way. And can I just say really loud, and this is not... If you've never risked for God, you've never really seen God the way he needs to be seen. Because God shows up on the other side of risk. God shows up on the other side of sacrifice in a huge way. So if you've never risked something for God, did something really for God, that's, a, that's the, the last thing. Third thing. Jonathan got to see God show up in a huge way. So much to the point where he couldn't say it was about me. It wasn't about me. It was about God. And I was just a vessel. I just walked and I did the steps and I, and I, and I did what I felt like I was supposed to do. In fact, earlier on that passage, he says, maybe God will show up. But Jonathan got to see God show up in a really powerful way. In a huge way. So that nowhere in that point could he ever take credit. If there comes a point in your, in your mind or your life where you start saying, it's about me, you're not taking risk. You're not moving. Because at the end of the day, when you move and you risk, there's nothing you can say but that was God. Almighty God showed up as a result of that risk. You know, I've learned something really profound in my life. And recently, God's love language is obedience. Anytime that Israel obeyed God, God blessed them. And Israel saw God in a huge way. Anytime Israel disobeyed, God withdrew his hand. That's how they got Saul. In your life, if you're saying, I, I just, I, I want to feel God. I, 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 I'm missing out on something. I don't feel his presence. It's not God. It's because quite possibly you've never moved. And quite possibly you've never risked for God. So therefore you've never seen the God of the universe move in your life the way that he's so desiring to move. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, going on the mission field. and think some, some of you are called to do that. I'm talking about, like, the, Kim Cornwell cuts my hair. 
And watching her cut hair, she just gives glory to God every little snip. She's cutting my hair, and that's how I look so good this morning, okay? She, she, see how much she glorified God? All right? That's terrible. All right, so she cuts hair, and when she cuts hair, you can tell that's who God designed her to be. When you watch Grant play drums, and he's just going away and smiling and closing his eyes, you know that God made him with rhythm. And he gets to see God show up when he's going through his beats. And Kim gets to see God show up in a huge way when she is cutting a client's hair. And and they get done, they go, wow, that's awesome. And some of us have never experienced that. We've never been able to use our gifts in a way that we can say, wow, that was awesome. That was really not me. That was just me doing what God wanted me to do. That was me moving That was me risking. And I could see God show up today. And I I wouldn't be married today without risk. This church wouldn't exist without risk. And we've got to see God do some incredible things to where we can say, this had nothing to do with us. We just tried to do what he asked us to do. The last thing that, that Jonathan got to see was as a result of him obeying God and moving and risking and seeing God show up in a huge way. He killed 20 men, and as a result of that, God inflicted fear on the Philistines and caused an earthquake. As a result of that, Saul is under this pomegranate tree, and he's going, whoa, something's happening. Whoa, what's going on, right? And then his 600 men are like, yeah, you're right. Let's go do something, right? And they grab their shovels, and they grab their hose, and they start running out. And then the guys who were hiding in the caves, the 2,400 who were hiding in the caves are like, whoa, the 600 are moving. Something must be happening. And they go, and they destroy the Philistines as a result of one person's movement, as as a result of one person's risk. You know, guys, we were called, we're called in the scriptures in Matthew 5 to be salt and light in this world, to be an absolute contrast. And because of the monotony we live in, because of our PDA-like lives, we often don't achieve that. And in order to be a contrast, a stark difference in this world, it's going to take movement. It's going to take risk. And then we see God show up. And then people want to follow us. Because they say, I want to see that kind of joy in my life. I want to see that kind of fulfillment. Because I've never seen someone so joyful in cutting hair. She looks like that was, that's what she was meant to do. And guys, I'm on this stage right now because I'm doing something I love to do. And I want that for you. Now, I've messed up on jacked up a lot of stuff in my life. <laughs> okay, so I'm not sitting up here going, look at me, I'm awesome. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm saying at some point I, I was able to move and I was able to risk. And so I know what that looks like now. And I want it for some of you. Now, there's some of you in here who have done that in your life. God bless you. And there's some of you in here who are in the middle. You're like, I'm not sure, and I really want to, and I have taken steps. And then there's some of you who are like, I am at my wit's end. I'm depressed. I'm joyless. I need something more than what I'm just doing right now. We get that this is hard. 
So we've provided a, a few outlets for you. Uh, this is a, a pretty cool card. Um, in your bulletin, you'll see these. This is I loved it and I loathed it. This week, uh, write down things in your day-to-day stuff and even in your work that you absolutely love, that Marcus Buckingham says strengthens you, that your strengths strengthen you, that you're using your strength and you're using things and doing things that you love. Write those things down in here. And then on the back, what are the things that deplete you? that absolutely drain you of joy and life, that you look back and go, I can't be the father I want to be. I can't be the husband I want to be. What are those things in your life? And then write them down this week. And then evaluate your life. Am I being, am I doing the kind of things that God wants me to do? Am I being the kind of human being I want to be within my giftedness? Second thing on the front here, you see, uh, it says, Now Live Life. I started a blog called nowlivelife.blogspot.com. Org. Go on there. You can interact with me. I'll, I'll throw down some stories about some cool things I've seen in my life. I'll throw down some resources that have really helped me in my journey of finding this out. And I'll interact with you, I promise. Okay? Blogspot. Uh, nowlivelife.blogspot.com. And then lastly is this book. My wife gave me this book. And uh, it really has a lot to do with your work. Now, we spend 40 to 50, some of you 60 hours a week of your life doing a job. Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool to do it with the things you love to do and the person you were created to be? Wouldn't it be cool to do a job where you come home and you feel strengthened and alive? Well, this book's a great resource for that, and it helps kind of pin the tail on the donkey. But he ends this book with a very cool uh, little story here. It says, this is an inscription written on the tomb dated A.D. 1100 of an Anglican bishop in the crypts of Westminster Abbey. It says this. When I was young and free and my imagination had no limits, I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world was not to change. So I shortened my sight somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it, was too, it seemed too immovable. As I grew into my twilight years, in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family, those closest to me. But alas, they would not have any of it. And now I realize as I lay on my deathbed, I had, if I only had uh, changed myself first, then by example, I might have changed my family. And from, uh, from their inspiration and encouragement, I would have then been able to better my country. And who knows? I might have even changed the world. And that's where, our, that's where we are. Some of you are today. As it starts with you wanting to make a change to move out and say, it starts with me. If I can move, if I can risk, I'm going to see God show up and then other people are going to want to follow that. In your mind, say, I am not content with being monotonous. I am not content with living a PDA-style life anymore. I want to use my gifts for God so that I can really, truly be alive and not just live. Let's pray. Lord God, I love you so much, and we just, we just thank you for your word, that it speaks so powerfully. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would convict the hearts of those who are trying to make this change in their life. Lord, they would get the help they need to get to, to become the kind of people you want them to be. Lord, we just love you so much, and we thank you for uh, creating us so creative.
and giving us and instilling into us gifts and abilities, Lord, that we would thank you for those things by using them in our lives. Amen. May God bless you. But my, may God bless you as a result of you being alive and using the gifts that he's created you, created inside of you. May God bless you for that. May he not just bless you for living, but he, may he bless you for being alive in him. Amen.